The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is the podcast where we go through all the nitty-gritty details of the last issue that we didn't have time for on the main show. This is episode 41.5, and uh, maybe we should be calling this Wizards Plus, because as you'll recall, we're coming off the 300-page year-end spectacular for 1994. There was so much to get into that we didn't have time for on the main show, although it was a great conversation with the guys from the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast. But man, I can't wait to dig in some of the extras that were hiding in the pages of issue 41. So let's get into it here, starting off with my favorite segment, Cap's Kooky Contests. All right, well, as you'll recall, the main topic of discussion for the majority of the episode was the X-Men. They were on the cover. They were taking up the first third of the magazine, at least. And so you have to imagine we'd have a few X-Men-themed contests in here. And the first one is called Mutant Apocalypse. Your mutant-loving buddies at Capcom and Wizard Press have teamed up so you can help make the world safe for mutant kind. Sound tough? Hey, it's a video game. Just spend the next week holed up in your room. Play until your thumbs bleed. It'll be a snap. The grand prize? One gifted youngster will be feared and hated by his or her peers when he walks off with the Capcom X-Men Mutant Apocalypse video game cartridge and a complete Super Nintendo system consisting of the Super Nintendo game system, Super Capcom gamepad, and interactive game vest. You won't find that stuff in the danger room. Second prize? A copy of the Capcom X-Men Mutant Apocalypse video game cartridge for the Super Nintendo video game system. So how do you save mutant kind? Easy. All you gotta do is decipher the apocalypse code at right and send the deciphered message along with the official mutant apocalypse entry form to the mutant apocalypse contest so over here you have apocalypse just spouting what seems to be gibberish right it says l mob l m o b g s v h g i l m t h f i e r e v so either that's ancient egyptian or it is some sort of code you have to figure out i will mention also in the letters section there was somebody who wrote in saying they deciphered the language of the alien who appeared in Madman comics. So there's this alien that seemed to have this whole scrambled language that would appear in the word balloons, and this guy cracked the code key and figured out there's actual dialogue that Mike Allred wrote and then encoded, which makes it super exciting for me to go back and read my Madman comics now using that. But I digress. So, I don't even remember the Mutant Apocalypse video game. Like, I recently picked up the Spider-Man and the X-Men and Arcade's Revenge, cartridge for the Super Nintendo because that was what I never completed as a kid because it was so frustrating and I need to accomplish that in my life. <laughs> I happened to find it in an antique store and did that. But this one definitely passed me by. But I'm curious to see then what is hiding in the fine print, what jokes they have. In fact, even the fine print, they say inafe rent pay, which I think is supposed to be some sort of pig Latin, maybe not the official code that you're supposed to use to decode Apocalypse's words. But 
But anyway, let's take a look here. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Capcom, their immediate families, and anyone who thought that code-breaking sequence in Stargate was awesome. Come on, that was like the lamest thing I ever saw in my life. <laughs> Not fans of Stargate. Then it says here, another non-sequitur coming up here. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a matter inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. You know, the first time I heard Apocalypse on the X-Men cartoon, I thought his name was Apocalypse. For days, I thoughtlessly wondered, what kind of stupid name is that for a villain? Apocalypse. Some wax lips, perhaps? He does have very prominent lips. Anyway, let's get off the lip talk and move on to the next exciting contest. And wouldn't you know it, more video games. Yes, this is the Adamantium Rage contest. Says here, them video game wizards over to claim and the wizard wizards here at Wizard, try and say that three times fast, have teamed up to bring Wolverine right into your living room. So hang on and get ready. Here we go. The grand prize, your choice of either a Sega Genesis or Super Nintendo Entertainment System, including six of Acclaim's hottest video games, Wolverine Adamantium Rage, Mortal Kombat 2, Maximum Carnage, True Lies, Stargate, and WWF Raw. Second prize, a copy of Wolverine Adamantium Rage for either the Genesis or Super Nintendo Entertainment System game systems. Here's how to win. Give a look-see over at the seven villains from the Wolverine Adamantium Rage video game and try to successfully name all seven. If you could do it, then fill out the official Wolverine Adamantium Rage coupon it right and mail it off to... And so there you go. Yes, so let me see if I could do this real quick here. Well, we definitely got Sabretooth that was pulled from, I believe, the Marvel Masterpieces 1993 card series. You have Cyber and Lady Deathstrike and... The Black Queen? I don't know. Like, she looks like she'd be a member of the Hellfire Club. There seems to be some white wolf character. And then another, like, what if Venom was, like, naked and hairy? He's got a super long tongue with a big open jaws and, and teeth. And then there's another guy who looks like Apocalypse, but he's all metal. And I know I've seen him on a trading card before, which is where most of my X-Men knowledge comes from. But, yeah, I, I would not have been able to even get into the running here. But I do think it's cool that you could get, like, a whole pack of games, not just a system in one game. That's a great grand prize. Uh, now let's check out what's going on in the legal stuff. So, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Acclaim Entertainment, their immediate families, and anybody who says video games rot your brain. Hey, you go read a book, buddy. And then we have here, Offer Void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. If Wolverine is the best there is at what he does, why does he need a healing factor? Mmm, very good point, calling out Wolverine. If you're so great, why are you always getting hurt? Alright, next up. So we have moved off of the X-Men and gotten into the world of Malibu comics. This is interesting, though, because this says get published in a nationwide talent search. Wizard Press and Malibu Comics are teaming up to make some comics fans' dreams come true by having their work published in a comic book. The grand prize, an eight-page assignment as either a writer, penciler, or inker to work side-by-side -side with an industry pro and be published in an upcoming issue of Ultraverse Premiere. Second prize, samples of your entries showcased in an Ultraverse 
Ultraverse editorial, a set of all Ultraverse books up to and including the God Wheel event, and a full set of Ultraverse hologram editions up to and including Ultra Force number one. Third prize, a set of five random Ultra Limited editions. I wonder what the Ultra Limited editions were. So yeah, so if you wanted to break into comics, not a bad deal getting published by Malibu Comics because they had just been purchased by Marvel Comics. So you were getting in the back door with the big dogs with that. So basically they say, how do I become a comic book pro? The road to becoming big and famous is fairly simple. All you gotta do is marry Roseanne. Haha, <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Oh, a little dig at Tom Arnold there. All you gotta do is follow the directions below for the category you wish to enter. Or heck, go for the gusto and enter all three. Here's what you do. If you want to be a writer, submit a two-page double-space story synopsis involving at least one of the following deceased Exiles characters. Catapult, Tinsel, or Trax. Tinsel? That was a character name? Ugh. Just look at these three data files to get the skinny on them. Pretend they weren't killed, and write a sample story featuring at least one of them. You can include other pre-existing Ultraverse characters, but the Exiles characters must be the main character in the story. Penciler? Submit at least one completed page of pencils featuring any pre-existing Ultraverse character. Don't do any of those sissy pinups, though. Go for multiple panels instead. Come on, you're trying to tell a story here. And then the last one here for Inker, submit a complete page of inks plus a photocopy of the pencils they're worked from. The judges for the contest from Malibu are revealed here. It's Len Struzuski, Scott Collins, and Jeff Whitling. Struzuski is the only one I've heard of. Jeff Whitling worked on New England's comics The Tick, which is cool. Uh, he also worked on short-lived Street Fighter comic and The Ferret. And Scott Collins, they basically say that he worked on the 1994 Hawkeye miniseries Spider-Man the Mutant Agenda and is providing pencils for freaks from Malibu Comics. So very, very interesting. I wonder if anybody actually got a career out of this or if it was just a publicity stunt. Okay, and here is the fine print for this Malibu talent search. It says, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press and Malibu Comics, their immediate families, and any of the Bravura fellas. Jeez, you guys could do it all anyway. If you want something to do, go help Art Adams get Monkey Man and O'Brien out. Hmm, must have been delayed there. I'm sure it was worth it though. That's still a series I really want to read. I just never have pulled the trigger on it. All right, next here. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Wouldn't it be funny if like Rob Liefeld entered this contest under a fake name and lost big time? Ha! That'd be a hoot. Oh my goodness. Guys, this is what we tune in for. That is pretty hilarious. Oh man, such a dig. All right, and here's the last thing here. So it says, Wizard Press will judge all contestants, narrowing the field to 13 in each category. Malibu will judge only those final 13 in each category and select the winners. Any entries sent directly to Malibu Comics will be destroyed. Did you catch that last part? All entries sent directly to Malibu Comics will be destroyed. Tom Mason will personally take a huge freaking garden weasel and ground your entries to mulch, and then take a whiz on them. <laughs> Well, there you go. So make sure you set that to the right place, direct to Wizards, so they could do that preliminary culling. And now on to the next contest. Getting back into the world of X-Men, because you can't leave them out of the loop for long. The Fleer Ultra X-Men contest. Think the Fleer Ultra X-Men cards are cool? You do? Well, how'd you like to own them in a way that none of your friends ever will? Why, you'd be the envy of all your so-called friends. Read on. All right, so the grand prize here, one lucky fan wins an un 
uncut sheet of the 1995 Fleer Ultra X-Men cards, an uncut sheet of Chase cards from the set, and a complete set of the cards encased in its own special Fleer Ultra X-Men binder. Wow, that's pretty neat. I've just tried to imagine how large that uncut sheet would be, because I know there's like over 100 cards in this set, so that would have been intense. Uh, second prize, two winners will march off with an uncut sheet of Chase cards, a set of 1995 Fleer Ultra X-Men cards, and a Stylin' Fleer Ultra X-Men binder. That ain't bad. Third prize, five winners walk off with a set of 1995 Fleer Ultra X-Men cards, as well as a Stylin' Fleer Ultra X-Men binder. Which, here's the thing, you have a full set of those nowadays? With this crazy collectibles market we got going on, they might be worth some bucks, especially with the X-Men. But Wizard says, so how do you win? Simple. Just fill out the Fleer Ultra coupon below, jam it in an envelope, mail the whole thing off to the address below. You'll be entered into a random drawing, and if you're lucky, hey, you'll win! Alright, the itty-bitty legal junk, as it is designated here, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Fleer, their immediate families, and them two Hildebrandt fellas. You know, I don't think I've ever seen Tim and Greg together at the same time. Hmm, something fishy's going on around here. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof, and hey, if you don't win, in other words, if you're a loser, you can always buy lots of glue and make your own uncut sheet. <laughs> hey, I've done it myself, where I've mounted these display-framed examples of the cards, so it's not the full set framed, but then, you know, I've got, like, card packs in there and holograms or whatever chase cards, so, and, like, an, if there's an ad for the card set, I put that in there, so, eh, it's one way to go. All right, on to the next contest. Ooh, there's more to come. So this one's interesting because it says comic fans only. It's underlined. And you see phone bone from bone. I'm sure this is where Jeff told me to meet him. Maybe he's over there on the next page. So you turn it and it says, do you ever wish that you could lock out the whole world and just spend the night reading and talking about comic books? Well, so does Jeff Smith, creator of Bone. He's going to spend a night at Comic Relief, his favorite comic store, doing just that. And he'd like you to join him. The grand prize, two winners, each with a friend or legal guardian if under 18, will be flown to Berkeley, California, where you'll hang with Jeff Smith in his favorite comic book store, Comic Relief. Yup, you heard right. You'll just hang out with Jeff Smith, snack on all kinds of crappy junk food, read the coolest comics all night long, and have a couple of surprise guests stop by. So how do you enter this excellent contest? Pretty darn simple, actually. All you gotta do is fill out the official bone coupon below, attach a photocopy of a document proving that either you or the person who will attend the trip with you is 18 or older, stuff it all in an envelope, slap a stamp on it, and mail the sucker off to the bone contest. Now, the smiley fine print here says, Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, cartoon books, their immediate families, and anybody who doesn't read their comics. Come on, man. There are a lot of good comics out there. Pick up some new titles and give them a shot. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Boy, wouldn't it be tacky if Jeff Smith spent the whole night reading back issues of Bone? Nah, he's too cool for that. Wow, can you imagine, like, having an overnighter at a comic book shop at all? And then think about the idea of, hey, you're also going to be there with a creator of your favorite comic book? That would be kind of crazy, maybe a little creepy. I'm just very curious to know how they set all that kind of stuff up. Like, I know Mike Allred was doing a Kickstarter for this documentary that his son is producing about him. And one of the things you could do is actually go to Mike Allred's house and do 
do a karaoke party with him, which is just kind of nuts, you know? So I guess it's a, a forerunner of that. Now, the final contest here, out of nowhere seemingly, is a Star Wars contest, and we got Boba Fett all over this place here. So let's see what they say. Try to cheat Jabba, will ya? Well, you saw what happened to that solo geek after he dumped the hut's cargo and ran. What Boba Fett wants, Boba Fett gets. But just how much do you know about the galaxy's most lethal bounty hunter? Take a stab and either win big or have Mr. Fett put a neat little hole right in your forehead. Grand prize, a limited edition Star Wars Dark Empire hardcover and a copy of the limited edition Gold Dark Empire number one, all signed by Tom Veitch and Cam Kennedy. Second prize, a copy of Dark Empire 2 number one, signed by Veitch and that Kennedy guy. The only way to get your grubby paws on that booty is to answer the following four Boba Fett questions. Can't do it? Well then, you'll run the risk of offending Mr. Fett, which can be mighty unhealthy. So these are the questions you have to answer here. One, Boba Fett wears the armor of what group of warriors? Well, I will tell you, in 1994, very few people do that answer. Nowadays, of course, the Mandalorians are all over the place. Number two, what manner of scalps adorn Boba Fett's armor? Hmm, that one I don't know. Ewok scalps? Number three, what is the name of Boba Fett's ship in The Empire Strikes Back? Slave One. Oh, I got that one, huh? I'm doing pretty good here, guys. Number four, what creature swallowed Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi? Oh, the Sarlacc. Poor, poor CGI Sarlacc. I liked when he was just rubber teeth in the ground. Anyway, says once you've knocked off them their questions, fill out the official Bounty Hunter coupon down there, pack it in Carbonite, and ship that sucker off to the Boba Fett contest. And now they have a picture of Boba Fett, and he's got a word balloon, but it's all just dots with an asterisk. And then you go down and it says, wow, just like in the movies, Boba Fett's so cool, he doesn't say anything. He's so mysterious. But the fine print, as it's listed here, does have something to say. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Dark Horse Comics, their immediate families, Salacious Crumb, and that Leia, babe. Jeez, when she pulled out that thermal detonator in Jedi, Boba nearly soiled his armor. The next one here is offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. You know, Boba Fett's only line in Return of the Jedi was screaming like a little sissy Mary when he was knocked into the sar- Oops, almost gave away the answer to question number four. Never mind. Whoa, guys, I just found a bonus contest. I thought Boba Fett was the last in line, but wouldn't you know it? Rob Liefeld, previously mentioned in the fine print, is back at it again. This is a Battlestone contest, and you actually have that character from Extreme Studios standing on an all-white page says, Hi, I'm Battlestone. Most of you know me as the no-nonsense undead warrior and leader of the Elite Strike Team Brigade, but I also get my rocks off entering those neat wizard contests. In fact, I suggest you do the same, or I might take it the wrong way and off ya. Have fun! The grand prize, an original piece of framed Marat Michaels art featuring Battlestone, drawn exclusively for this contest. Second prize, an original piece of framed art from the pages of Brigade. Third prize, a gold Brigade number one signed by Marat Michaels. Fourth prize, a copy of Battlestone number one signed by Marat Michaels. Fifth prize, a copy of Brigade number 12 signed by Anthony Wynn. So Battlestone goes on to say, The way to win some of that cool stuff is to take a gander at the extreme characters below and figure out which three have not been members of Brigade. Then read below for the rest of the scoop. So the characters are Atlas, Lethal, Quantum, Roman, Seahawk, and Warcry. Hmm. I believe I read like the first two issues 
Jews of Brigade, and Seahawk was definitely there. This Roman guy sort of looks familiar, and maybe Atlas was there. So it makes me think that Lethal, Quantum, and Warcry are the ones who are not, because they also look like bad guys. But hey, maybe you know better than I do, you crazy image fan. Now, at the very bottom, they have a picture of Marat Michaels, and he says, I'm Marat. Not only can I draw, but I also do impressions. Here's one of a deer caught in the headlights. <laughs> so let's take a look at the legal crap as it's listed here. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Extreme Studios, their immediate families, and anybody who's got one of them little itty-bitty skulls on their forehead. Hear that, Mystique? Then, offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. There's nothing like a good pair of pants. Well, how's that for a non sequitur? <laughs> There's nothing like a good pair of pants. Words to live by. And now it's time for Robin's Reading Rainbow. Alright, so this issue, as you might recall from episode 41, we were talking a lot about the X-Men, and specifically there was an interview with Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza talking all about the Age of Apocalypse and just the state of affairs of the X-Men books at this time. Of course, as we've been talking about quite a bit, it was being promoted as after Xavier, the Age of Apocalypse. Every book was said to have mutants, colon, and then the new title. All of that didn't exactly happen that way and what came out this month as promoted in Wizard was X-Men Alpha which many of you owned I'm sure. I still have my copy from my childhood. It features a Joe Maderera cover. Joe Mad giving us a wraparound of all the new character designs of this new world. You know specifically you got Wolverine as Joe mentioned on the episode just jumping forward at you with only one hand. What happened to that hand? As I decided to go through this here it was interesting because I realized I don't think I ever read this more than once. Like, I have a vague recollection of the stuff in here, but I also realized I only bought X-Men Alpha, The Amazing X-Men, and Gambit and the Externals, but there were a whole bunch of other books that were part of this initial release that all got these new number ones, and so I grabbed a few of those on Comixology, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to give you the quick hits here. This is not a super in-depth review, but just kind of give you my idea of how I feel about all the new looks and the story as it's presented. For those who don't know, this is basically an alternate timeline created by Legion, who is this character that basically was able to go back in time and kill Charles Xavier before he formed the X-Men, so history played out completely differently. In fact, to the point where Magneto witnessed the death of Charles Xavier and decided that he would carry on his legacy and his dream. Something that is repeated over and over again every time Magneto shows up in one of these books. It's actually pretty annoying. He seems to have no life or desire of his own, only to do what Charles Xavier would have done. But I will just say here, in this X-Men Alpha, you're introduced first to a whole group of X-Men led by Magneto. You have Sabretooth with Wild Child on a chain. It's never explained why he keeps this Wild Child character on a chain. Who is Wild? child. You have Blink, who can open up these portals, and 
jump around. You have Morph, who can shapeshift more than just a human body. He actually ends up doing some pretty interesting stuff with that power later on. You have Rogue, who is actually Magneto's wife at this point, and they have a little baby son named Charles. You have Storm, who is kind of a non-character in these books. She's like really in the background and literally her first appearance. She is far off in the background. Quicksilver, you have a very iced up Bobby Drake as Iceman, and you have a pretty cool and dark, mysterious Nightcrawler. Kurt is going by Kurt Darkholm because it's been revealed that he is Mystique's son. They are facing off against the tyrannical order of Apocalypse because he is in charge you know, it seems like the mutants were supposed to be on the rise, but for what I took, it was just kind of like, yeah, there's a small faction of humans still existing, and the mutants that don't align themselves with Apocalypse, they're not just given a free pass. But also in this case, much as has been his lot in all the X-Books, beginning with Jim Lee rebooting them in 91, Bishop is here, and he is the time traveler, and he is the one who remembers the original timeline, and so he's attacking Magneto, calling him a murderer! And when he was talking about the the X-Trader all that time back. Well, now he has identified Magneto as the X-Trader, and they managed to calm him down, which is kind of cool. They, a Sabretooth asks, that's a magnetic trick. How'd you do that? By slowing the blood flow of iron to his brain. So basically, Magneto has quite a few tricks. You also get a look at the other side of Apocalypse's machinations here, and one of his mm, satellite offices, I guess you'd call it, is run by Mr. Sinister and the Summers Brothers. So you have Alex and Scott, except that Havoc, he doesn't have those circular things all over his body. He doesn't have a cool leather jacket or anything. And Cyclops only has one eye that he shoots optic blasts out of. Plus you have Dark Beast, who is this evil mad scientist who I remember crossing over into the 616 universe when everything gets set back. So I think that's kind of a cool little storyline down the line. But anyway, everybody's kind of got their own agenda. You know, Magneto's obviously trying to fight off whatever Apocalypse is doing. Apocalypse just seems to want to rule, to want to rule? It wasn't super clear to me what his point is, only that he is deceiving the humans with something called the Kelly Pact, like Senator Kelly saying that he was going to lay off them. <laughs> and he says, but the Kelly Pact indeed. So often do I rely on the naivete of humans, and so rarely am I disappointed. We also get a look at Wolverine Wolverine and Jean Grey, and how they are now a romantic item. There is no Scott Summers in the mix here, and so you have them running around doing some behind-the-scenes undercover work, and they go to Moira McTaggart, who gives them a data rod from Mr. Sinister that reveals some details that they were looking for. And then you also have Magneto get a psychic flash, seeing the alternate timeline and realizing that Bishop is telling the truth. And so so now he's kind of mysterious about his intentions. He's not telling everybody what it is he knows, but he's sending everybody off on these different missions. And so, you know, that's kind of what I took away from the X-Men Alpha. I, again, I remember reading it as a kid and all I cared about was, hey, new costumes. That's kind of neat. Uh, but none of the characters really stood out to be like, oh, is one of these going to be a main character? Oh, it's Magneto. And he's just telling everybody how he's got this grand goal and he must carry on. Charles 
Charles Xavier's legacy, all that stuff, I was like, eh, it wasn't really interesting to me, especially since he's kind of one note in that way. Now, in the first issue of Amazing X-Men, now this was with art by Andy Kubert and Fabian Nicieza wrote it. This was another one that I really felt like a slog reading through, because again, it's more of just an introduction to the members of the team. So you have Banshee, you have Quicksilver, seems to be the leader, you have Iceman, and you have Exodus, and I remember him showing up in X-Men comics a few years prior to this. And yeah, the one who always confused me though, so on the cover here, there is a woman who is shooting out rainbows from her hands. And I always thought for some reason that that was Crystal from the Inhumans, because wasn't she married to Quicksilver for some time? But it turns out it's actually Allison Blair, the Dazzler. And so again, having only read this once as a kid, that didn't connect for me. So she is able to shoot a lot of rainbow blasts out of her hands and like do light constructs. I just, I never saw the rainbows in earlier appearances that she made in Marvel Comics. So that, that kind of threw me there. I thought it was some like elemental display from Crystal. Anyway, a sentinel shows up. They fight a sentinel. The plot itself doesn't unfold very much. The only thing you see at the very end is they are confronted by a group of apocalypse acolytes, I'm going to assume. They loved to use that word acolytes back then. But I really, I don't recognize any of these characters. They do not ring a bell to me whatsoever. So when they pop up, I'm like, okay, some people, I'm sure they're redesigned, but I don't know if I would have known who they were before the redesign. So these are my honest opinions, guys, as I'm reading here. Now, next up here is the Astonishing X-Men, all right? Astonishing X-Men number one. And this one is written by Scott Lobdell and Joe Matt. Herrera is the penciler on this. So Joe Mad, I feel like he was the one who defined the look of Age of Apocalypse. That's what was in the ads. That was just like the art that I most identified with. And so like I said, this team is the one we were introduced to in the X-Men Alpha that we're most familiar with. And what stood out to me most during this is, so Blink shows up, she flies through a portal, and then flying out behind her in the portal is in Sunfire. And Sunfire is one of those characters that I always thought had the stupid costume you know then the giant size x-men number one i just i was like does he have a fish on his face like i don't know what that's supposed to be like it just it always looked weird to me so here they've totally redesigned him where he looks awesome because he's like all white he's got a red dot on his head like you know the japanese flag but just like his whole body is like in flame you just kind of see some little markings and he's much more intense much more visually stylized he's a character that if they had spun him off and like say dark beast came to the 616 universe and then they brought that version of Sunfire along with him, I probably would have read that comic just to watch more of that character design going on, you know? So the main thing in this issue is that Magneto is trying to send Nightcrawler out to find his mother because Magneto wants this mutant named Destiny who can kind of like see the future and stuff to figure out what is going on with this truth that he has now learned from Bishop. Nightcrawler really doesn't want to go, and so he's not super interested in going to see his mother, but he agrees to it. And also, it's an interesting relationship between Quicksilver and Rogue, 
because she's his stepmom, but you gotta assume they're about the same age. And so it's kind of interesting how they just kind of have that like maternal relationship. Rogue is so much more mature in these stories, I guess you would say. She's less angsty. She just doesn't seem to have a whole lot of personality going on. She's just like, I support my man. I support my Magneto, you know? <laughs> so that was one of those things where I was like, huh, all right, well, that's interesting. But just like the main X books where they weren't being turned all topsy-turvy, these ones just didn't catch my interest. But one book that did was Gambit and the Externals, okay? Which is a very manga-looking art style on the cover. It's, it's something where I was just like, oh, this looks like it's going to be different. And it opens with Jubilee and she's being hunted. She's kind of cursing Gambit for sending her on a mission she seems to be involved in. And next thing you know, you have Strong Guy busting in. Guido is there, except now he's got like a fully metal arm because somebody's got to have a fully metal arm. I haven't seen Cable in these pages yet, you know. And Sunspot is part of their team as well. And so they're battling some of Apocalypse's guys or whoever it is that seems to be attacking them these days. There's a whole lot of faceless, like, you know, just armored characters that are always on the hunt, but they have different types of armor. So I have a hard time figuring out what faction the military seem to be a part of here. But anyway, Jubilee, it's revealed, has stolen some medical supplies and they're trying to get them down to Gambit, who will distribute them. So you have Lila Cheney there, who they talk about being their human ally. And so she leads them down there and wouldn't you know it, Magneto is down in the secret portal and they don't trust him. They think that he's there to cause trouble for Gambit based on past actions, but Gambit reveals, seems old Eric be needing someone to steal the biggest jewel in all the universe. And who else to turn to when something needs to be pinched but us? So basically, they have to grab this jewel. It's basically just a MacGuffin. It's just going to lead them on their adventure. But what's interesting is the tension between Magneto and Gambit because it's very clear that Gambit once had the relationship with Rogue that we're so familiar with, but at some point, Magneto won her heart instead. So there's a lot of conversation there. What kind of gentleman would that have made old Remy LeBeau? The same kind you have always been, Gambit. Not much of one at all. You'd be surprised, Eric, the sacrifices a boy could make in the name of love. You know, so there's a lot of conversation there. Now... What's really fascinating is they are going up to a Shi'ar ship and when they get there, they just can't believe like the magnitude of all the technology and everything. And so they get attacked. They are called the Madri and they're basically a bunch of hooded characters that are clones of Jamie Madrox. So they make short work of them in a battle and then... This is really interesting. They get the jewel they were looking for. Basically, they reveal that Lila is actually a mutant, but somehow she managed to keep them dormant. And so now they're going to unlock them by putting her in this machine. She gets this helmet on and it says she feels cold solar winds at her back. She is traveling through space and more. She is space, the distance, the void, you know. And so she basically kind of like explodes in this blast of psychic energy and a new group of bad guys have shown up. They are definitely associated with Apocalypse, but then Lila manages to open up this portal. And so everybody gets zapped through the portal, including Richter, who is this acolyte of Apocalypse who started the attack. So he jumps in after them. So now Richter is on the tail of the externals as they are continuing on their journey. They got to do whatever they got to do so they could beat Apocalypse. So again, that was one that I remember reading as 
as a kid, but first time read for me here was Generation Next. And I wasn't reading Generation X. I didn't really take note of that book until there was the TV movie that Stephen and I love so much. But I really, really liked reading this issue of Generation Next because the way that they reimagined, for example, Chamber, who I didn't realize he was British. Like he's really written with a heavy British accent in this. That's the only annoying thing. The way that they've written his dialogue is is kind of hard to read sometimes. But Chamber, instead of having his whole bottom of his face blown off, he's actually got like this metal containment unit that is part of his chest armor. So he can shoot the blast of energy through his armor, which is really cool. So you can actually focus it. But they're in some sort of training scenario in a forest and Paige Guthrie, aka Husk, is there. And she just keeps trying to seduce him and saying, don't you think I'm sexy? Don't you think I'm sexy? And he, he's kind of trying to remind her, hey, we're in the middle of a training exercise. And then Mondo rises up out of the ground there. And he's like this huge, you know, dirt tree monster. And it seems they're saying like that when he gets bigger, he gets stupider. So he's kind of talking with that broken Hulk type dialogue. And next thing you know, who's there to take down Mondo? but Colossus. And Colossus is wearing a pirate scarf, you know, that covers his eyes a little bit like a mask. And uh, it's actually a pretty cool look for Colossus, but apparently he is the leader of this group and he's tried to keep the kids humble. And wouldn't she know that Paige Guthrie, she could actually control it a lot better than normal. And she turns her hands into acid? I didn't know she could do that, but apparently that is the case. And then who should pop up is their other mentor, Kitty Pride, Shadow Cat. And this is a really interesting look for her because she has wolverine claw gauntlets she basically has gauntlets that have three spiked claws on them and she actually slashes up page like you know she's slashing up husk and cutting off pieces of her flesh and i guess we're supposed to realize well that's her thing she rips off skin so that shouldn't really matter to her speaking of skin so kitty actually gets page down but just as she's about to strike what well, seems like a killing blow up like are these death games then skin pops out of the forest in the darkness wraps up kitty and the game is won and they say great job that was good tactical work and all that kind of stuff so that was an interesting turn of events just to see like the danger room but not a room the danger forest there is some sort of mission that happens at the end here i don't really understand what it is but it's basically magneto showing up again and saying hey colossus kitty i need you to take your team that i put you in charge of training and get them on to another mission that's what kind of all these first issues are is magneto showing up and saying hey i need you to take care of this and everything we are you told us to do this we don't want to do that just do it. Okay, we'll do it. But the thing I like most about Generation Next book is the, the Chris Bocciolo art. Again, I know he was drawing the normal Generation X book, but when I covered Ghost Rider 2099 for the 2099 hotline here on the mini episodes, that's where I really fell in love with his art. And it is really intense and so stylized and fun here while not being so cartoony and crazy. That's what he just, he's got a style that somehow manages to feel right in the universe and proportions seem right. Colossus is out of control but Colossus should be big. You know, Mondo's out of control but he should be big. The next book was Excalibur because again, I wasn't reading Excalibur even though my first comic book ever was a, a copy of Excalibur but this is about Nightcrawler
Nightcrawler going on his mission to find Raven Darkholm, his mom, Mystique. What I found most interesting about this, though, is that there is a woman who is traveling, like, through these caverns. She's trying to find this place called Avalon. It seems to be this very hush-hush realm. I, I don't know what Avalon is specifically. But when she arrives, she finds this giant guy who's just kind of in ripped robes and he's bald, but he's just, like, massive. And it's very clear that this is the Juggernaut. But he's not the Juggernaut anymore. In fact, he doesn't have the helmet. I don't. He doesn't seem to have that jewel that transforms him into the Juggernaut, except that he's got a red necklace around his neck. So I assume that he just like converted the jewel into a necklace so he can keep the power around him at all times. But yeah, it's really, it was kind of strange to me because I was just like, huh, what is his deal? But anyway, he is leading this woman takes her through. You also meet up with Warren Worthington III, the angel who has this nightclub called Heaven. So it's basically a place where all the outcasts can hang out and Nightcrawler shows up and he basically thinks that somehow Angel betrayed them and so he starts by fighting him but he's like, look, I'll tell you where your mom is, right? You want to find her? I'll tell you where she is. Stop beating me up. I'm not the bad guy you think I am. I'm just playing all sides and uh, so he's kind of the man in the middle but he, you see the angel basically say, someday I'm going to have to make a decision. I'm going to have to determine who I really am, which side I'm going to align myself with. Also, you have Magneto talking to Mystique on a screen who says that she will not go to Avalon. She is not going to find Destiny. But Magneto reminds her, Raven, you're the only person outside Avalon who knows Destiny by sight. Any past history with Destiny, any moral compunction about entering Avalon must be cast aside. She agrees to participate in that. Now, Nightcrawler shows up and there was a guy who I thought was Namor. I thought for some reason they had Namor in this, but it's actually John Proudstar. John Proudstar has got kind of this group that's hanging out around him. Nightcrawler's saying, hey, I'm looking for my mom. Where is she? Tell me where Mystique is. And Proudstar points his finger at him and Nightcrawler grabs the finger, then bamfs away, which basically, you know, rips off his finger, which was a pretty intense intimidation tactic. And then they agree to take him there. Also in this, from the New Mutants, you have Danny Moonstar, and she asks, what's wrong with Dead Man Wade? Who is Dead Man Wade? Yes, it's Deadpool, and he's basically this zombie who is like all like, you know, hamburger-faced, you know, like Deadpool is, but Apocalypse says he is again regressing to his days at the eugenics program. A pity that after imbuing him with his crude healing factor, they could do nothing about his physical condition. So at the end of the issue, Juggernaut successfully gets this woman who has been seeking destiny and finds her. She says, welcome, my dear. And the woman identifies herself finally as Switchback. And again, is this a new character? Is it an old character with a new name? I don't know. But Destiny says to her, welcome, my dear. If you shall be Switchback, then I shall be Destiny. But one day soon, we must... The burning, God help me, it's all burning. God help us all. I see the apocalypse. So, yeah, pretty intense ending there to the whole deal. Excalibur was fine. I guess what I would say is I found it slightly more interesting than the Astonishing X Men or the Amazing X Men. So, yeah, so those are the ones that I chose to read. I didn't end up going too deep down the rabbit hole as far as like X Men or Weapon X. So, those are the ones that I did not 
check out. Maybe they were the best. Maybe I should have checked it out because I know Nate Gray is very popular on the Power of X podcast. I actually saw his action figure, his Marvel Legends figure at Ross, Dress for Less, the other day for like seven bucks. But I didn't know the character, so I didn't buy it. But he did have a very hard-to-find cover of Wizard that I recently tracked down. So maybe in a future installment, I will check out those missing issues. But overall, here's what I'll say. Like, the Age of Apocalypse, I think it was a fun idea again because I always like something new. But it didn't change the fact that the X-Men universe gets very confusing when you have so many characters with so many different motivations and so many factions even within the bad guy group and the good guy groups. And so to me, like I just said, "Ah, there was nobody I really clung to except for that Generation Next group. They were so interesting and I really liked that look for Chamber better than I liked his emo fire in the chest look. So uh, anyway, I, I would say of all of these Generation Next was probably my favorite and maybe followed by Gambit and the Externals. Uh, So yeah, I'm curious to hear what you guys all thought of Age of Apocalypse. Obviously, I didn't read through the entire saga here, but just like I only bought a few issues back in the day and didn't buy any more, I don't know that I want to. I know it's come back recently and they've been like delving back into that universe. There's some action figures on the horizon, things like that. But uh, I, I think if nothing else, the character designs and I may someday read Blink and the Exiles because I always thought that was cool uh, that idea for a book but other than that mm, Age of Apocalypse maybe not my favorite thing just like the X-Men not my favorite thing so maybe it shouldn't be any surprise Happy Halloween geeks yes the spooky season is upon us and have we got a treat for you how about 20% off at HalloweenCostumes.com why HalloweenCostumes.com because they have the biggest and best selection of costumes, accessories, and decorations for your Halloween celebration. No kidding. They have the absolute best-looking She-Hulk and Rogue costumes we've seen anywhere, and many more amazing costumes exclusive to HalloweenCostumes.com. For the fellas, there's Jim Lee-style Cyclops and Gambit, your choice of Wolverine in classic blue and yellow, or the brown costume complete with arm hair? Huh? They've got you covered for DC Heroes too with the classic Shazam, the dynamic duo of Adam West Batman and Yvonne Craig Batgirl, or even a CW Green Arrow. Whether you want comics accurate or ripped from the silver screen, their enormous selection of costumes and accessories has you covered. Best of all, you can get these costumes for a great price by using the link in the episode description. Yes, your buddies at Wizards are hooking you up. Just click the link and a 20% discount will automatically be applied to one item in your cart. The offer is valid through November 6th, 2021. So get on it, geeks, and visit HalloweenCostumes.com. All right, now it's time for our top 10 heroes and villains of the month.
Well, obviously here we have Spawn in the number one spot, because how could he not be there? Spawn is number one. Spawn will always be number one. He is our numero uno, comprende? Uh, number two is Spider-Man. Now this is kind of crazy. They mentioned here, my parents were shape-shifting robots bent on my destruction? My clone is alive and taking over half my books? Who's writing me? Hey, relax, Petey. You're getting a cartoon and a new toy line. Things can't be that bad. Well, actually, your private life does kind of suck. That thing with your parents, that weird business with your clone, your marital problems, that rash? Boy, I'd be down in the dumps too. Well, if it's any consolation, things can't get any worse, so go shave, take a shower, please. Catch some shut-eye and learn to stop the insanity. If you can't, go hit the talk show circuit. With your screwed up life, you'd make a mint. But watch out for Geraldo. He's cagey. Now, in the number three spot is Wolverine, who's moving up, and it actually had been Batman up to this point. Spawn, Spidey, Batman were top three. Now, Wolverine has overtaken him. Uh, let's find out why. Looking like somebody just squirted some nair his way. The most the most bestest X-Man we know, Wolverine, re-enters the top ten chart this month. Why the sudden surge in popularity? Hell, we don't know. It could be that monthly Wolvie series is pretty spiffy with cool stories by Larry Hama and top-notch artwork by Adam Kubert, or it might be the fan tension is reaching a boiling point as Wolvie approaches his big 100th issue and rumors are flying about him rejoining the X-Men. He quit when that Dillweed Magneto pulled all the adamantium out of him, as well as his getting them aforementioned adamantium bones back. Whatever it is, our boy Logan is back. Now, number four is Batman, as we said. It says, is it me, or do all the heroes in this top ten heroes of villains look like they just spotted a butt-naked Tommy Lasorda to picking up his wallet? No? Whatever. With more costume and identity changes this year than Hannibal Smith had in any season of the A-Team? Whoa, an A-Team reference. Bats has kept his fans tightly gripping the rail of his emotional roller coaster, and now, with Dick Grayson doing the hero thing under the cape and cowl, things are the coolest they've been in months. So heck, don't let the fact that he doesn't have pupils scare ya. Pick up any Bat book, especially Robin, and see what you're missing. You'll recall in a recent mini-episode, I covered a few of those issues featuring Dick Grayson, but as Batman, I would disagree with Wizard. Not such a great change. Not a very compelling person to take over the mantle. Made me miss Adam. Israel. Kind of weird, huh? So number five is Gambit. Number six is Pit. And number seven is Lady Death. Let's see uh, what sexist remarks they have about her this time around. Quite a dilemma here. How do you tell the living embodiment of silico, I mean death, that something's fallen out of her nose and stuck to her bottom lip? I guess proper etiquette demands that you hold her close, look deep into her eyes, and when you go to plant one on her, nibble it off. That's what I'd do. Aside from that unpleasant business, uh, Lady Death is enjoying the current bad girl trend whereby any impossibly voluptuous comic female with an attitude has become the hottest thing going since, well, anything with an X on it. With another miniseries planned, as well as always popping up and whatever Evil Ernie is doing, expect LD here to stick around the hot charts for quite a while. Alright, number eight is Vampirella. Hey, keep that up and your eyes will stay that way. She's cross-eyed in the picture they've selected here. Also riding high in the charts is Harris's Vampirella, the most excellent brunette, undead, possibly extraterrestrial, dental floss wearing champion of good this side of Transylvania. With them Harris folks keeping the heat turned on with their monthly series, her upcoming crossover with Image's Shadowhawk, and her jumping rope while wearing that little costume of hers, Vampy will be with us for some time. And as a side note, if they ever make a live-action Vampy flick, our vote goes for Winona Ryder playing the lead. She is awesome. What? Winona Ryder? 
as Vampirella. Now, as we discussed, this was the debut of Casting Call, so they must have had that on the brain, but there is no way, no way, that Winona Ryder would fit into Vampirella. The costume or the character are, yeah, very weird choice. All right, number nine here is She. She, looking like she went to the same tanning salon as Lady Death, rounds out our triumvirate of way hot bad girls in this month's top ten. A female samurai, she is not only a dangerous babe, a hot-looking babe, and a popular babe. She's also a well-written babe, and a well-drawn babe. Yeah, so misogyny is on full display here in Top Ten Heroes and Villains. Uh, For those of you who haven't picked up an issue of She, which is almost understandable since copies are harder to come by than a TV channel without OJ coverage, gotta have that OJ, you're missing out on a pretty keen comic. The story centers on the struggles, mostly against her nemesis Arashi, and adventures of Anna Ishikawa, one formidable and highly skilled warrior and simply should not be missed and number 10 here is superman but let's see how it fares in the mort of the month Oh, wouldn't you know it. This time around, our Mort of the Month is Elastic Lad. No, no, not the elongated man. No, not Plastic Man. This is Elastic Lad. If you don't know your Silver Age comics, let's take a read. Jimmy Olsen, Superman's best pal, a fine photojournalist, and one of the goofiest heroes in comic book history. In the pre-crisis DC Universe, it seems our young klutz tripped, broken alien bottle soups found, and was drenched with its contents. Faster than you could say, hey, woozy winks, Olsen gained some super stretching abilities that Tyrone Muggsy Bogues would kill for. After the freckle-faced freak became elastic lad and foiled dastardly criminals for a while, a bit of kryptonite radiation his powers away. But were his days as a hero over? Nope. Professor Phineas Potter created a serum that Caratop could swig whenever he needed a good stretch. And bonus, he became an honorary member of the Legion of Superheroes. His origin in the post-crisis universe, Jerky James blamed the big S for exposing him to an otherworldly virus that made his body painfully elastic. Now Jimmy's all better, and he's not the only one who's grateful. Yeah, elastic lad. I mean, he's done a lot of superheroin in his day. I mean, he had his own book, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, right? I actually, I'll just mention this as we go out. I was watching an episode of The Big Bang Theory, and Sheldon was mentioning, you know, his interactions at the comic book store and why he likes to shop at that store and the fact that they were discreet about him picking up the occasional issue of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen of which he was very ashamed (laughs) so there you go it continues to this day has there been a good Jimmy Olsen story why don't you tell us on social media all right let's see what we have next oh yeah it's time for what I've just been informed that Hunkin' Babe of the Month is no more. They've got rid of my Hunkin' Babe of the Month. Well, who else am I going to drool over? Uh, who am I going to talk like this for? Oh, this is rough for sexy voice guy. Well, thanks, kids. See you again someday. Yes, it is a shock, or is it, that 
Issue 40 was the final installment of Hunk and Babe of the Month. As you'll find out in Issue 42 when we cover that, Pat McCallum decided to drop a few sections from the magazine, and that is one that just didn't make the cut anymore. It seems like they decided to just move it on over with the top 10 heroes and villains. They could definitely talk up the physiques and other, uh, you know, sexy traits of the comic book heroes there. So, I guess that is the end. A sad day indeed. No more Hunkin' Babe of the Month. And that does it for this installment of Wizards Half. Really want to thank everybody for taking a listen to these and listen to me rambling. You know I want Steven and Michael back. Life is busy for them right now, but they are returning. They will be with us for issue 42. Steven has really been looking forward to covering this for a long time. He said, when I'm back from my hiatus of filmmaking, that is the one I want to come back for. I have to mention, though, before we get to episode 42, we are going going to be releasing another episode of 90s Super Cinema from the vaults. It's been a while, so we just felt like we needed to get one out there, and we have Batman Returns, which actually featured Steven's wife, Anna, on the show, which was very cool. And then we'll have episode 42 after that. want to mention to you also that you can go over to our YouTube page, if you haven't already, and check out Michael and I going over all the Halloween costume contest entrants from issue 4. We put it together as a video so that you could see the photos and listen to our commentary. It's about 35 minutes or so. It's a really great conversation. We had a lot of fun just going off the cuff and making our own judgments and saying who we thought should win. We'll see if you agree. Of course, you want to stay tuned for these episodes of The Wizard Files. We have many more of these wizard staffers who are joining us and reaching out. It's been very awesome to talk to them. And I will tell you that next up is Mr. Andy Sir. Irwin. He had various editing titles and duties over the years, but most importantly, he was like second in command for the end of Wizard Magazine. So you're going to hear some stories that maybe you've heard, but not from this perspective, uh, as well as a lot of fun times that he had in the late 90s and beyond working at Wizard and seeing the various permutations of the magazine itself. So stay tuned for that. Last thing here. I am going to be attending RetroCon, which is an awesome retro convention out in Pennsylvania with many members of the Retro Network staff. So if you are in that area, if you're on the East Coast, I'm traveling from the West Coast to be there. It's that cool. Then I want to see you there. I'm going to be wearing my Wizards mask. I got my Wizards t-shirt. I have Wizards I have Wizards stickers to give out to you and maybe some other prizes if you show up and tell me you are a Wizards listener. So just look for me on the floor there. I would love to talk to you and hear your thoughts on the show. Plus, it's just a fun place to be. That is this last weekend in September. So make your plans. Get on over there. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.